0: This is Things That Really Matter, a podcast by global multidisciplinary engineers, Kundal, that is dedicated to creating new and innovative solutions for the built environment and driving the agenda towards a more sustainable future. Join us as we discuss the challenges and changes that affect the built environment around the world with the brightest minds in our industry. Hello and welcome to this special edition of The Things That Really Matter. I'm Rick Navarro, APAC Head of Clients and Marketing at Cundell, and today I have the pleasure of catching up with Davina Rooney, CEO of the Green Building Council of Australia. Davina has garnered an impressive CV, and reputation across the built environment, and is a highly respected leader with a string of awards that include the NARWIC New South Wales Sustainability 2016 Award, the PCA 2014 Future Leaders Award, and the Sydney University Engineering Young Alumni Award. Davina, welcome to The Things That Really Matter.
1: Oh, thank you so much for having me. What a privilege to have a chat.
0: Looking forward to it. Thank you. Now, Davina, I'm going to take you back a few years. Let's go back to 2019. You departed Stockland as the GM of Sustainability and Corporate Procurement, a company you'd been with for about 12 years, and joined GBCA as the new CEO. So tell me about your motivation of taking that leap from a successful listed property developer to head up one of Australia's most influential industry associations?
1: Well, I mean, it was just such a privilege to be on that journey. So I'd had it assessed with the Green Building Council starting in 2007. And then, um, you know, I gave that up in around 2000, um, early 2012, to start being on committees at scale. So, you know, it really felt like I was taking, you know, I had a foot in Stockland's camp and a toe in the Green Building Council. So it felt like this kind of beautiful shuffle to, to move into the Green Building Council. And the thing that took me is the opportunity to make change at scale. So, I loved the opportunity at Stockland. There were so many fabulous things that we got to do together, but it was, you know, one of the things that really drove me, what are the challenges that we need everyone to work together to unwrap? Like, we really need to work together on residential, electrification, net zero, cracking biodiversity space, procurement at scale. You know, these days, I have the privilege to also work with the World Green Building Council to have those scale of opportunities, being with a leading, you know, partner like the Green Building Council of Australia, it was like a dream come true.
0: Yeah, a massive step indeed. So, and of course, little did you know that when you commenced at the GBCA in mid-2019 roughly, that in just six months' time or thereabout, the world would be hit by a crippling global pandemic. So, as an organisational leader, what adjustments did you and your team have to make? Mm-hmm in working with industry and the government? And how did you pivot to ensure a sense of continuity amongst the unknown?
1: Look, I think that's a really good question. And I think we've got to look at it in the backdrop of we have just been through the horror bushfires of 2019-20. And when we look at the stage we were at in the environmental crisis, if you took a step back at that time as the leader of an environmental organization, you really needed to move to another game. Um, so the Green Building Council made a really strong commitment. We would run everything we did and do that at scale and with an enormous focus on our people and our members, you know, so that, that was, those were our real dual focuses. And so, um, for us, that meant things like our Transform Conference. We ran industry's first virtual conference on the sort of 23rd, 24th of March 2020. And it was a real moment that sustainability will rise across this. Now, an enormous credit to my team, a week and a half flip from a full physical to a full digital conference whilst lots of things were cancelled around us. But it was the same on we'd launch a home strategy. So, I remember talking to the Australian and them saying to me, why would you launch a home strategy in, you know, March 2020 in the middle of the pandemic? And I sort of said, well, I think everyone's discovering just how uncomfortable their homes are now. They're spending so much time in them. What, you know, if, if after, you know, the horror events of that summer, you weren't inspired to do homes better of net zero, healthy, resilient, if not then, then when would you? But obviously a huge focus on our people, our partners, our members. So, One of the things I love about the Green Building Council team is um, they love innovation in all formats and they like to do things properly. So, um, hilariously, we started talking about what we're going to do differently. So, you know, we made an announcement that everyone was going to take their laptops and work from home. And... Um, because our team over ninety ninety two 92% of the team already had a flexible work plan in place. So we were used to working from anywhere, anytime. So we were sort of culturally well set up for it. We'd just done some digital upgrades or digitally well set up for it. But the main thing we were worried about was people's being. So the Green Star team paused, thought about it and wrote a manual for how one should do work from home well, which included how you, how we did a buddy system, how you stay in touch. Even little things like we found our teams were tending to work longer, you know, because they'd lose the lose that moment of it's five o'clock and the day ended, so
0: work life blend, yeah, yeah.
1: work life blend, but sometimes not getting that blend in the right place. so mm. you know the team would put in songs that they would send each other at the end of the day to try and herald the end of the day. You know, some of the team that were getting more entrenched at their laptop were, you know, assigned to walk the dog around the block at a certain time to try and create some of that work-life separation. And I have to note that, you know, um, some of our beautiful team, um, many of you will know the wonderful Jeff Oatman, was calling all our members and partners and seeing if they were okay. And the thing that was most surprising about that is sometimes we were the first person to be asking someone if they were okay um, before you know, their employer was able to get to it. So, yeah, so we had an impact focus and a well-being focus. And I guess those were the dual items that we took into the crisis.
0: Yeah, not to be underestimated how now they have become almost the mantra of the workplace, the flexible, agile, pivotable workplace moving Mm -hmm. forward, if you like. So um, it's definitely the cutting edge of what had to be uh, something that had to be instituted on the run. So um, switching gears a little bit, I also note that Um, Beyond the GBCA, you wear several industry hats, including as a board member of Evolve Housing and as part of the Faculty for the Sustainability Practitioners Program at the University of Cambridge. So there's an obvious thread in these appointments and your track record of experience that is very much centred around improving our built environment and how our built assets serve to improve the lives of communities. So I'm curious to unpack what drives your focus and passion to give back.
1: Mm. Well, look, I, I should also acknowledge I, I have the privilege to be on the board of the Australian Sustainable Built Environment Council and I've recently joined the World Green Building Council Board. So
0: I've missed a couple. No, years. no, no.
1: Well, this, you know, this is one of these things where these, um, not to disrespect these wonderful organisations, they're all doing amazing work. So I'm entirely driven by how do we drive more sustainability at scale and what do we what do we learn together in that space? So, you know, working with an organisation like um Evolve Housing. You know, you get a real sense for affordable social public housing, the complexities there, just, just how hard it is to move that dial in that critical space and make sure that we take care of our most vulnerable. You know, a lot of the policy work with ASBEC or the World Green Building Council is is really about how we scale these items. And so um, people, people ask me what, what drives that. I, I had this moment. So, um I was lucky at the start of my career. I worked with arab they um sent me on their then Arab fellowship where I got to work two years anywhere in the world and i worked um at i I worked in a combined engineering architecture office in London for a year and a half and then I went to the Indian Himalayas for eight months and you know it was a school that won um social and environmental awards that won world architecture award shared for best school all these items. And then I came back to regular consulting and it was amazing, but it felt really odd going to a client lunch and I was a little bit like, where's the girl who gave her boots to the site manager because we had teams that didn't have them? How do I connect this world? So at that point, I made a commitment to myself that the rest of my focus, whether it was in my spare time or my work time, and I'd find a way to align the interests would be about driving sustainability at scale. And that's how in the complexity of this, I would sleep well at night. And so these are the things that give me joy. There's certainly a lot more for us all to do in, you know, in the critical decade. But, um, yeah, this is something that uh, there's there's an amazing Harvard Business Review article about managing your energy, not your time. So I take opportunities where I learn and they keep me in flow with purpose.
0: Yeah. And very much speaking to the whole um, structure of this podcast, which is the things that really matter. And I think you've summarised it really well there. So fast forward to 2022, Mm. 20 years of operation for the GBCA, um, two decades, and you're in a truly unique position where you've been on the uh, client side, Mm. engaging with the GBCA, and now obviously at the helm leading the organisation. What have been the most uh, significant differences and changes that you've observed for the GBCA and the Green Star rating tools over that journey.
1: Mm. So uh, one of the things, I mean, one of the things that's been beautiful about the 20 years has been celebrating some of the, I guess, you know, leadership has seasons and it's been celebrating some of the seasons of leadership, you know, catching up with the wonderful Maria Atkinson, who was kind of, I think, our founder stage where the, where the Green Building Council had to show that they were a really serious environmental organisation, establishing standards, working with international partners, lining things up, getting things established in the right space. And then when I think of, you know... Romilly Madew's, you know, tenure at the Green Building Council. A lot of that is, you know, 13 fabulous years. Where who else, through the GFC, you know, could grow an organisation at scale? And you know, I, I look at I look at my my privileged time at the Green Building Council, and it's all about consolidation. So if we want to change everything, we have to work with everyone. How do we have to change ourselves so we can work with everyone and take things to scale? So. What does that mean, um, you know, a new era of digitisation while we, you know, try and take the friction out of some of these processes and make the information more accessible. Um, a new wave of rating tools that absolutely align with the global goals around, you know, carbon, circularity, health and wellbeing and really seem to tap into those themes of of green finance and then really setting ourselves up to scale by incorporating, you know, for the first time minimums. We want a top 10 things for all the builders to put in all their projects. And if you get net zero um, in operation and, you know, consideration of embodied carbon, then you're at a four-star level. So, kind of creating a cheat sheet that has deeply embedded sustainability in it so we can grow this pathway up. Now, we, we had a 20-year alumni function where all the beautiful team from the start all the way through to our team now. And the thing I'd say is they have the heartbeat of the organisation. We absolutely couldn't do it with our team, you know, past, present, and, and, uh, and I look to the future. But the time is now. None of these challenges are going away you know, nobody else is going to do them. So, it's, you know, the time is now and we want to work with really different partners. So, I think one of the things that's really interesting to me is some of the growth areas that we're seeing is social infrastructure, helping government take their commitments and actually implement them on their projects and programs. The other one that's really fascinating to me is seeing non-property groups implement sustainability at scale when they've got a large property footprint. You know, groups like, the Woolworths of the world. Mm. And then I think the other huge opportunity for us that we're that we're absolutely leaning into is if we want to change everything, we have to talk to everyone. How do we actually look at the consumer side conversations? You know, we're going to be doing a TV show with Jamie Jury because the only way to change the residential market is hearts and minds.
0: That's fascinating. Yeah. And taking it exactly, as you say, across all different stakeholder groups and user groups and every sort of touch point along the way. Mm -hmm. And speaking of which, uh, and picking up on the GBCA's close collaboration with industry that you've just mentioned, Cundall was of course the technical partner with the GBCA along with support from New South Wales Government and CEFC on perhaps two of the most significant guides published in recent years and that is the electrification process. So the electrification of existing buildings and the recently launched version of the electrification for new buildings. From your perspective, how ready is the industry to take that quantum leap away from fossil fuels and shift gears towards fully embracing renewables and full electrification of built assets?
1: Mm. So this is like what one of the hard areas when we look at, mm. you know, net zero in operation, but you know, if we're serious about it, we have to be looking at highly efficient buildings powered by renewables that are fossil fuel free. I think we're we're seeing a really interesting time in industry and this is just such a critical piece. So when we're doing the early strategy work with Kundal preparing for these guides, everyone thought we're crazy. <laughs> you know, there was there was a lot of work to do. It it's it's complex to change industry and that's part of the GBCA's purpose about driving this the sustainable transformation of the built environment. I think it's really worth calling out that the 20 21 International Energy Agency report, the IPCC report, you know, really sounded the alarm on like we have to go methane. We haven't been going hard and fast enough with other cuts. So, methane has to be an enormous focus for us because um, of the relatively short time, the 10 to 12 years it's in the atmosphere. So, while we do the other work, it gives us some time. So, this was an enormous focus for us that we all need to go harder in these spaces. Um, But when we speak to industry, there's been a gap in a desire to go net zero and the capability to do so. So guides like this are really important uh, and they're designed to speak to stakeholders at all levels, you know, from, you know, your CFO, your development team, all the way across consultants. And they're intensely designed to be glossy and easily accessible, you know, a page turner as such. And this is one of the things we need to do. You can't just tell someone that they should change. You've got to work with them at each stage of the process. So we often talk about this change as being the carrot, the stick and the tambourine, I'm known for saying. (laughs) And so in this case, you know, the carrot is we put it in Green Star, you know, buildings. We put it in Green Star homes. We're asking for pathways in Green Star performance. Done right, you get extra valuations, you know, customer engagement. There's, There's a carrot there. The stick is we're seeing actually regulation move really fast. So, ACTs called out from 2023, uh, no gas in new communities. Uh, new South Wales Design um, Sustainable Building SEP is actually saying no new gas in commercial dwellings beyond 2023 or a, or a plan to remove it by 2035. So, enormous change. We've seen WA involuntarily take a community off a gas line. And of course, Victoria is doing their own roadmap. So we're seeing lots of these different parts, but with the carrot and the stick, you still need to have a tambourine, a communications campaign, partnering with industry, showing them the how. And I think this has been an enormous opportunity for partnership to try and bring that together in this space.
0: I love the visual of that tambourine (laughs) as well. But um, I think Moving on from the electrification piece and somewhat connected to it, if there's one acronym that for me is clearly dominating the headlines, Mm. ESG, suffice to say that environmental, social and governance Mm -hmm. considerations have been on company and corporate radars for some time, but it just feels like ESG has truly come of age in the last two to three years. From your perspective, Davina, what's next for ESG and do you have any concerns about greenwashing and ESG investing? Mm.
1: So, I think the new thing in ESG is we're seeing investors say, um, not next week, not tomorrow, now, 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 and I will divestify if I I have to. You know, so we're seeing that enormous laser focus through the investment community, which is incredibly helpful to drive change. The other thing we're seeing an enormous focus on is standardisation. You know, whether it's the EU taxonomy translating into taxonomies in Australia, the ISSB reporting, a real focus on it's not going to be enough to put out a report and do something. We actually want clear metrics so that we can measure you against what you're doing. Now, for us, that's music to our ears. We, we, we're in the critical decade, so we all need clarity, action, metrics, alignment. It's also a challenge that we all need to work through. Am I worried about greenwashing? I think we all have to be worried about greenwashing at this stage. People should, you know, do what they say they're doing, and we need, there needs to be clarity in that space. That includes Green Star. There is no such thing as Green Star equivalency, you know, and. Um, I think we need to be clear. If you're doing things, you're doing them. If you're not doing them. And I think as the market has more content and information in it, the need for third party verification in a whole lot of forms, people want to know it does what it says on the tin. And that takes a whole lot of formats. And appropriately, there's a lot of people who are pretty impatient with being told it'll get better while the planet gets worse. So I think accountability, transparency, doing what we say we'll do has never been more important.
0: Yeah, well said. And I think it's that difference between aspirations and real outcomes as mm. well. So you, met, you touched on it before, but it would be remiss of me not to mention that you did graduate from the University of Sydney with a civil engineering degree, achieving first-class honours, no less, <laughs> which led to your early career as a practising engineer on global projects. I imagine this gives you a rather inquisitive and solutions-orientated perspective on the things that really matter to our built environment. So through this lens and with the benefit that you've had of industry-wide experience, what's the one bit of sage advice you would give to the next generation of emerging talent across the architecture, engineering and construction industries?
1: Your time is now. I think is, is some of the advice and then we're all going to have to work together, you know, the, the, if we talk about the hard-to-abate sectors, by the way, that's what we build every day, you know, so embodied carbon, upfront carbon emissions. We, we did a report with the federal government last year that says, yeah, there are about 15% of emissions now. They're going to be over 85% as the grid decarbonises in Australia, so we're going to have to have enormous focus Now, there's some sustainability strategies that you can imagine in your office by yourself and implement. Uh, Circularity, embodied carbon, they are not those. And so get ready to collaborate radically in ways we've never done before um, because we have to. So, you know, not having a choice is a very powerful motivator.
0: I love that. Your time is now. And I think that's very well said and summarised. Davina, it has been an absolute pleasure to look into your experience and your insights and pick apart what has been an extraordinary career to date with much more to come, I am sure. Uh, Thank you for joining us on this special podcast.
1: Thank you very much for having me.
0: And just a reminder to our audience that you can access this and all other Cundle podcasts on our website or via Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts and Spotify. Thanks for listening and until next time, remember to embrace life. This is a podcast by Kundal. We're a carbon neutral business committed to achieving zero carbon design on all our projects by 2030. To work with us and help us achieve our goals, visit kundal.com.